Welcome to another edition of the show. My name is Andrew Wilcox. Thanks for tuning in. Glad to be back doing more shows. Uh, really excited about this. <laughs> I'm super excited about today's show. This is a topic that I heard about a couple of years ago and really hasn't left my mind. I find it incredibly interesting and I'm sort of slowly moving towards one side instead of the other. At first, I thought it was a bit of a crazy idea. It was something I was really nervous about trying without even really knowing why. And that's why I wanted to talk to somebody about it, especially cell-based meat. Yes, meat grown from the cell. Uh, well, we'll explain it a little bit more in the podcast. I, I don't know. I still get the, I don't know, like heebie-jeebies or whatever it would be called about eating meat that was basically just grown in a vat out of cells but I'd try it there's nothing wrong with it I don't think well that's really the question so today we're talking to Mary Allen she comes from the Good Food Institute and we're going to talk to her a little bit about um, what they call um, plant-based meat and cell-based meat and I to me I, I think in the end uh if it means that we get to go back to more family-based farms instead of large, large, large factory farms, I think this could be a good thing. If we find a balance between plant-based, cell-based, and, well, meat. Anyway, give it a listen. Think for yourself. See what you think. Would you give it a try? Would you eat cell-based meat? Here's Mary Allen on another edition of Wander with Andrew Wilcox. Welcome to Wander with Andrew Wilcox. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited. Um, So as you mentioned, I am the content specialist for the Good Food Institute, and I am a Tennessee native, uh, Brooklyn transplant now, who sort of wandered sideways into this space. I was working in publishing, actually, uh, for Penguin Random House, and I was doing a lot of work with uh, some of the, like, vegetarian and vegan cookbooks and I was also really into running uh and it sort of piqued my interest this idea of sort of following a a plant-based diet as a way to level up uh my like running practice um and I really wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon so I decided to sort of like try plant-based eating on for size um and had like sort of a a phenomenal personal journey as I'm sure lots of people have stories Mm -hmm. like that about sort of their relationship with food. But it totally changed my identity around food in the sense that I like, I used to have such a a firm grounding in like what I did like to eat, what I didn't like to eat. Um, And then just sort of after experimenting a little bit for like a month, my taste totally changed. And it, it sort of, um, sent me down this path of exploring the food system from sort of a more of a systems uh, perspective rather than like a a personal choice perspective. And I got just really interested in writing about the food system um, and and began to understand more sort of the environmental and societal impacts of of the choices we make with every meal. Um, 
and that is how GFI came onto my radar. Um, and I thought that what GFI was doing, so now I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about mm-hmm. the Good Food Institute. Um, I just thought it was so smart and so different. So uh, the Good Food Institute is a nonprofit think tank that is accelerating the plant-based and the cell-based meat industries uh, as a way to just make the default choice for everyone a better choice without having people have to change change their minds or change their identities or change their food choices in a radical way. Let's just make uh, food choices that are better for the planet, better for uh, public health, and that are equally or more delicious. Let's just make them widely available and very accessible and affordable for everyone um, and, and approachable, frankly. Um, and I... I was just captivated by that notion because there are so many organizations out there that are working hard to convince people to make different choices, to change their consumer patterns and are are doing that on sort of like a one-to-one consumer-to-consumer level. Um, And I I think that that work can be empowering for individual consumers. I certainly had that sort of experience when I realized... um, that I did have choices where before I'd just been sort of following along without um, without spending a whole lot of time or energy thinking about it. But frankly, everyone's got a limited supply of time and energy. Mm-hmm. And some people care deeply about the food system. Some people don't. And not everyone, not everyone can. There are so many challenges to um, sort of countenance in the in in our interactions with the world on a daily basis. So um, the idea of, of changing it at the supply level and changing it at the institutional level, uh, rather than asking every single consumer to make a different choice all of the time, uh, just felt really pragmatic and necessary because as I think we're all starting to realize we're really running out of runway, especially on mm-hmm. the climate change side. Um, so anyway, <laughs> That that is that is what brought yeah. me to the Good Food Institute. Let me let me. Would you agree with this? Um, I think that there was a period of time where there was a lot of growth in the food. What became what used to be a family farm based thing became an industry, and that industry grow grew really really quickly in a time where we weren't really aware of what it was doing. And then it got to a point where it was so large and we all became aware of what it was doing, both to the environment and to the animals. And then we're left in this sort of spot where we have an argument between what has become the normal North American diet and what we know we have ethical issues with. Mm-hmm. Like, and we don't have the time to pay attention to it. That to me is what seems to have happened. Because I kind of come from the other end of the food eating because I grew up on a family farm. I grew up Mm -hmm. on a family farm where I watched the animals get treated very, very well. I watched the entire process from start, absolute start to absolute finish. And I've never had an ethical qualm with how it was done in that way. But then I see the way that mass production is done and all of that and how uh, most of our meat gets to our table these days. And I'm not really okay with a lot of that. I think a lot of people aren't really okay with a lot of that. But as you said, we don't have the time to change an entire system that's all of a sudden come into existence. Um, 
individually, but I think as a group, you know, as a group, we have to start looking at these solutions. And that's why I wanted to speak to you today, because I think that a couple of things that you guys are working on are really interesting solutions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that's exactly right, is that our food system has just seen sort of a phenomenal amount of consolidation um, in, you know, since the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And more and more, uh, our, the way that our food is produced has become something that we don't interact with that closely on a daily basis yeah. for a variety of reasons. And it's true that most people aren't comfortable uh, with with what happens in uh, sort of those conventional um, conventional animal agriculture operations, uh, and there's a reason that that people are are often offended when they're asked to look at those images. Yeah. They don't want to, um, but they still but they still buy it and they still eat it, uh, and that is um, something that that perhaps may change as as awareness continues to shift, but um, Certainly, it hasn't really yet. No. Uh, so what GFI is doing um, is looking at sort of the success that we have seen in just really recent years with uh, innovative plant-based companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods who uh, began thinking about plant-based meats in a totally different way. It wasn't, uh, what are the, what, what are the sort of, leftover ingredients that we already have on hand from like the, the industries that already exist. Let's cram them together into sort of a, a, a toothy plant-based product that we can feed to the vegetarians and market to the vegetarians. Um, they went back and looked at what makes meat, what makes meat delicious mm -hmm. and so craveable for so many meat eaters. What is it that people love about that? And can we just source that directly from plants? Because when you think about it, all meat starts as plants. Yep. Like all of our livestock, they eat plants and then they process them and then turn them into muscle and then humans eat that muscle. Uh, what if we just cut the animal out of the equation and stopped using them as sort of this meat processing facility, which is, which is what we're doing now, which is inherently very inefficient because when you think about how many calories you eat versus how many calories you turn into more you, uh, it's a lot more that you eat that, than that you turn into quote unquote meat. Mm -hmm. um, the same is true for animals. So if we can just cut the animal out of the equation, go straight to the plant, then we can create something that is uh, way more efficient from a resource standpoint that also eliminates sort of this, this uh, cognitive dissonance that so many people feel about not being super comfortable with their way their meat is being created, but not really knowing how what else to do because how else are they going to eat meat and they love the way it tastes and it's not as important to them as it might be for some other people um this discomfort so uh impossible foods and beyond meat started to started to create plant-based burgers that were really these high fidelity products um just by looking at it at a really granular level from from the the very taste molecules that mm -hmm. make it so so craveable uh and they started marketing it not to vegans and vegetarians, but to the flexitarians and to the people who do eat meat, but maybe not all the time and maybe would like to eat a little bit less meat, um, but don't need to take on the identity of a vegan to do that. Um, and that has started to just blow the market wide open. Um, 
And so that that is sort of the change that we're seeing in the plant-based sector. And um, it's created just a tremendous amount of momentum. Last year, uh, the growth in the plant-based meat product uh, category was 23%, which is huge. (laughs) Um, So that's sort of the plant-based meat side of uh, what GFI is doing. And then, um, so we are working to accelerate this space. And what that looks like is we have a team of scientists, uh, policy experts, um, corporate engagement specialists, and business analysts who are working to support the companies in this space with open access materials uh, to make sure that no entrepreneurs have to sort of start from square one. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, to, to bring the, the big players in this space, the big food companies, the big meat companies, um, and the suppliers and the distributors, uh, to bring them into this space because their infrastructure is going to be critically important to leveling this up uh, to the the level that it needs to get to. Um, One that we definitely had here, uh, I don't know if you have this, I don't think you do, A&W Restaurant? I think I saw that Carl's Jr. I think I saw that Carl's Jr. has done a similar thing in the States, but a Beyond Meat Burger. And that came out like last year. And I remember having a lot of people come to me going like, you got to eat this burger. It tastes like a burger. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it does. It's 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 closer than any vegetarian burger that I've ever had before. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that those types of things are what's going to help to propel the plant based patty burger uh, forward. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. And to that point, you know, um, in, in terms of sort of efficiency and flavor, both, um, you know, tra- conventional slaughtered meat is sort of as efficient as it could get in terms of mm-hmm. production and we it, it 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 tastes like what it is going to taste like um but for plant-based burgers like it's they're only the more that this innovation continues they're only going to get uh tastier and tastier and more and more high fidelity um and and even more efficient as they figure out how to produce produce them um, at greater and greater scale and and leverage the economies of scale that right now conventional animal agriculture is able to leverage. Um, So that's the plant-based side Mm -hmm. of GFI's work. And then we are also working to accelerate uh, what is the cell-based meat industry. Um, And I would be clear that cell-based meat is not currently on the market, uh, but when GFI was founded about three years ago and change, uh, there was one cell-based meat company that had just incorporated and now there are more than two dozen around the world um that we and 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 more sort of in stealth mode yeah Um, uh, memphis meats was the one that brought me to this conversation yes Uh, yeah yeah because because that's yeah this is a it's a kind of a crazy concept like and i think it's going to take people a lot to wrap their head around it but it's really interesting what it could come out and as you said it's gone from a, a very small number of companies to constantly growing. And from what I understand, the cost per piece has gone down quite dramatically in the last few mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. And it will continue to, you know, think about how much the, the, the first prototype of uh, an iPhone costs mm-hmm. versus now, like the, the relative cost now. Yeah. Still high, but yeah. <laughs> certainly much yeah. lower in that particular example. Um, but yeah, so uh, cell-based meat, is is animal meat um, that has been created um, 
sort of without an animal. And, and how you do it is you take a sample of animal cells um, and you bathe them in the nutrients that they need to grow um, and they will proliferate and divide and you can ultimately grow uh, the same muscle product uh, that you you eat every time you um, have a burger or eventually, um, you know, sort of a, a more complex tissue like a steak. Um, and in fact, this year, or this 2018, I guess, uh, an Israeli company called Ela Farms debuted the first sort of cell-based steak, which steak. was a huge milestone uh, for the development of the industry. So it's, I mean, it's similar if you think about it to when you propagate a plant, right? You take a cutting of that plant mm -hmm. and then you plant it in new soil and you get a new plant. Um, it is a, a, the, the same idea, but just with muscle cells. And what it allows you to do is grow, uh, grow just the meat that you need to grow without um, all of the other things that happen uh, when you are raising an animal um, for the sole purpose of eating its meat. You're also, you know, growing, growing bones and feathers and all these things that you're not actually going to have um, real use for. So it allows you to just zero in on exactly what you need. Um, and it also, um, it eliminates the, the billions of animals that we um, raise and slaughter every year from that equation when you, when you don't need to, to have an entire animal in order to just get the meat. One of the uh, interesting points I heard about this and why the word clean uh, meat works so well for it in this sense is this also didn't have a life that included waste. It didn't, you know, it wasn't an animal that had, you know, waste and out in a field and rolling around and blood and bits and bone and everything else in it. So you might go, oh, that sounds disgusting. But like the real process kind of is disgusting in a lot of ways and, and uh, no medications, no all of that type of stuff. It is literally just a, a, a piece of muscle. And I, well, as, I've under, as I understand it, also uh, they're working with fat as well in order to make mm -hmm. sure that, you know, it has the marbling of a steak and all of that mm -hmm. so that we get the, the, the similar experience in that. So it really, for those that may be afraid, like what's going into this, you got to also think about what's going into your steak every time around. Right. And I, and I think that is, um, I think that's a crucial point. I think you're right on is, uh, often what people, what people don't necessarily see when they just buy a piece of meat in the grocery store, um, is the fact that the vast majority of our antibiotics actually go into our animal ag system, mm -hmm. not into human healthcare. Um, and the reason is because on, on the one hand, uh, antibiotics help the animals gain weight more rapidly so they can reach slaughter weight faster. And then on the other hand, the conditions that the animals are being raised in um, often just require antibiotics to stay alive long enough to be slaughtered. And, and so if you're, you know, if you're, if you're concerned um, about the process, one of the lovely things about cell-based meat is that it will be so transparent. It will be something that consumers can can see sort of from start to finish, and will hopefully be interested in in learning about, um, because it, it won't be sort of hidden from sight because it's it's so unsavory to to countenance the reality of. And the other thing um, that it eliminates is, to your point, uh, the possibility of fecal contamination, which is something that um, is sort of 
inherent in the current process. Um, and, and so a lot of the, a lot of the sort of food poisoning that we see is even when our romaine lettuce, (laughs) even when lettuce is getting a bad rap, it's typically because there was animal ag and sort of further up, um, the further up the water supply or something like that. Um, so we eliminate all of that. And then the methane, um, of course, that is, that is attributable, uh, to uh, the, the farts and the poos that, um, are unavoidable when you're raising that many animals. Well, when you have such large, large scale animal production, absolutely. Um, I think I think when you say transparency, I think transparency would be absolutely uh, necessary at uh, for people because that's the I think the biggest thing that's going to be the toughest for people to get past. And I I'm not going to lie myself. I have a problem with it. I love meat. Uh, I had a burger before this. I'm going to have uh, fried chicken later. I know that's going to happen. Um, and for me, I just go, there's just a weirdness about it. I don't know what that is. I've looked at every reason to eat it. It all makes sense. Everything you just said makes sense. There's just a weirdness about it. You know? And I think that whatever that feeling is might be one of the toughest challenges that this t- style of meat has. So I think transparency is going to be absolutely required so people can see every step of it. Mm-hmm. And I think I think transparency is one of the really important points of, of differentiation, um, you know, and the people who who work in animal ag are, are just trying to feed people. Yeah. Right. And, and same with the cell based meat companies, just um, just trying to feed people. But I think I, I think the cell based meat companies um, are extremely excited to explain to people how this works. Because mm-hmm. to your point, when when the headline is something like lab grown meat, right? Like that's <laughs> clickable because with the word lab, you're like, oh, like, uh, I don't know. But there are so many parallels where technology um, has has been introduced and people have, have first, you know, sort of sort of like raised an eyebrow. Mm-hmm. Think about um, in vitro fertilization, yeah. now IVF, which is positively mundane right like it, it ivf is is not controversial anymore but when it was first introduced it was and when it was first introduced um ice made in houses was also controversial because it wasn't being harvested from a lake and shipped around like every time there is a new technological advance at first it's like a little bit it's a little bit new to people um and change is sometimes a little bit hard to wrap your head around um but I think it will have a lot to do with the way that uh, the way that people come to understand what it is. If you if you understand uh, sort of the in- environmental and the public health uh, benefits that are, that are involved in uh, sort of dis- this this new process of discovery, which is really harnessing um, sort of what is already happening um, with the way that that cells grow and divide anyway. Um, we're just, we're just taking that same biology and, and we're, we're doing it outside of the animal. Um, when that is, when that is framed in a way that, that where people understand the science and they also understand, uh, all of the reasons that it could be so game changing for our food system and for climate change, um, then people are really excited to try it. Uh, we Mm. actually did a, a poll in which, um, we saw that that 66% of consumers were 
were willing to try plant-based, I mean, cell-based meat when it, when it was, um, introduced to them in, in a way that helped them understand, understand it, it. Uh, as opposed to just saying like test tube burger, <laughs> we're like, what's coming next? Um, certainly, right. That's, that's not a message, uh, that's going to, to get anyone yeah. interested in trying it. And the point it's not designed to that particular message. When you see that framing, um, it's, it's typically because the person framing it in that way has a different motive. Well, it's funny that you say that because I was telling some friends, talking to some friends and some people about having this interview and, and about this concept because it's, it's so interesting to me. And I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's grown cell based grown meat. It's basically they grow the muscle. And the guy, and one guy was like, so like a test tube baby. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like that's so far from what it is. There's no nerves. There's no pain right there's no there's none of that that there's it, no pain it removes all of all of that part of it there's no thought no brain no anything like that it's literally grown grown muscle mm-hmm. created for us to eat and sustain which uh yeah and he was oh okay and then after saying that he was more into the idea of doing it but that's the problem is that you're going to get that instant reaction if it's not explained you know people go oh yeah test tube meat you know, it's test tube babies. No, no, no. There's no, you know, it's not going to all of a sudden grow an eyeball or you're going to get. <laughs> oh, no. Well, you think about that. You, you get those, you get those chicken nuggets and everybody's got the story of the chicken nuggets that's got like a cancer in it or something like that. Right. You're not going to get a grown piece of meat that's all of a sudden got an eyeball in the middle of it. And they went, oh, well, we messed up on that one. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't yeah. think that's in the in the cards for this type of process. Zero <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, but that's a but that is a, a fear that people would have. Mm-hmm. I think a, mm-hmm. a, a fear and that people. And it's something would have. to your point. Um, it's you know it's it's something that should be that that thought is something that should be taken seriously, and then that should be information should be provided. Um, mm-hmm. and and that's why the transparency that all of these companies. I mean, just just go to any of the company pages and look up the FAQs because they're all excited to, to share what they're doing and share what this technology uh, could mean for the planet um, and for our food system. Because the, the truth is that meat consumption is rising globally and yeah. not just because populations are increasing, it's rising per capita, really? uh, which means that despite all of these headlines that we see about like people going vegan and vegetarianism trending, veganism trending, Meat consumption um, in North America had a banner year in 2018, and 2019 is projected to be a banner year for the United States. So we're going to have to figure out how to do something, um, and very soon, uh, if, if we're going to figure out how to feed 10 billion people sustainably in 2050. Oh, that's crazy to think about 10 billion people. Yeah. Um, and I think that there is a... There is a, a world that we can see where not all meat production is gone, but all meat production is ethical, right? There can be some family farms that, you know, we still have it. There can be this uh, cell-based meat. There can be plant-based meat. And it all tastes good because in the end, that's what's going to win people over. It tastes good and they know where their food's coming from because now we're in a world where you can't snow anybody about anything anymore. The information is all available to us, although mm-hmm. now it's almost like there's too inf- too much information. So if you want to find some weird thing to justify your thought, you can find it. Uh, 
hence the anti-vaxxers, you know, because that's going to be the other question that comes out of this to me is then where, what are the G the non-GMO people feel about a process like this? Yeah. Well, one, one, one thing to point out is that, um, cell-based meat is not GMO. Mm. (laughs) Um, but it is, you know, it, it, it is, uh, important to like help people understand from the get-go exactly what it is so that you don't see this sort of um aversion to technology writ large just because mm-hmm. um i think that that is you know we have seen sort of this we are seeing this desire in in at least sort of the the a lot of the people that I, that I spend a lot of time hanging out with, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a very like, sort of like back to the roots, um, local food system kind of feel and which is important, um, and lovely, but also our food system is huge. And the vast, 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 vast majority of people, um, don't necessarily have the opportunity to, to make those choices and don't necessarily have the bandwidth to think about those choices. Um, and the way that our food system um, has shifted towards sort of leveraging economies of scale is not something that's going to be undone in the next 12 years, yeah. right? Um, so finding a way to, to create at scale meat that is much more environmentally uh, friendly mm-hmm. <laughs> and that helps us eschew some of the problems like rising antibiotic resistance, um, which is, I, I, I mentioned the use of antibiotics yeah. earlier, but I think one thing that goes hand in hand with that that is very important to underline is that when we use antibiotics at that scale, what we are doing is accelerating um, the development of antibiotic resistant superbugs, um, which is... One of the things that doesn't get as much play, right, as um, climate change, for instance, which we see all the time in the headlines. Uh, But a a post-antibiotic world um, is something that would be an equal or greater threat to humanity, um, according to a study commissioned by the UK government, um, and could ultimately end up costing the global economy, uh, I believe, 10 trillion dollars i want to fact check that um but it's 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 a it's a phenomenal risk um and one that isn't getting talked about a lot um but it is it is completely inherent to the way that we're producing food right now yeah it's funny when you say climate change because a lot of environmentalism in the average person's mind has been shifted to climate change as though that's the one big thing that we still need to switch. But there's a lot of environmental issues that we need to work on that are overall going to affect the health of the planet. Um, and, and this is, this is one of them. It it affects multiple, multiple parts of all of that. Um, and then there's the, also the, the animal health issue and, you know, maintaining the life lives of these animals, like, as I said, like on the farm that I grew up on, I think the animals had a great life. But I've also seen uh, the mass scale chicken farms, which I can't, I, I can't watch those videos. It's tough. Mm-hmm. I love chicken. I eat lots of it. Um, 
but I can't watch those videos. That's not where I want my food to come from. That's not where I want uh, that type of stuff to come from. And I'm willing to try basically anything to get away from that type of treatment of animals. And if, if we can scale down that part of the industry so that the animals are having a better life um, and scale up something like this so that a part, you know, especially when meat's becoming more and more expensive as well. Um, you know, if this can come in at a cost that's much lower, uh, an environmental impact that's much lower, um, and a cleanliness that's better, I think that we're, we're on to something that's really going to change the world. The question is, how far are we from being able to go to the grocery store and pick it up? That is a great question, and it's one that um, I don't feel like I have <laughs> the authority to give you a good yeah. answer on. Um, what I will say is that this industry is uh, progressing much faster than I think anyone uh, had hoped or dreamed that it would. It's really only been um, three years since mm -hmm. the first company incorporated, uh, and uh we are just beyond sort of the five-year anniversary of the first clean meat or cell-based meat burger, uh, which Dr. Mark Post debuted. Um, and he has since uh, founded a company called Mosa Meat that is working in this space. Um, so I think, uh, you know, you hear different things mm -hmm. uh, from different companies. Uh, I would bet that the first um, cell-based meat product that we see would be released uh, sort of on, on a menu in a high-end restaurant somewhere. Yeah. Um, and then from there uh, would sort of would sort of proliferate first among, among restaurant menus and then perhaps ultimately um, in sort of the grocery store supply. Um, but I, I, I think... You know, there are still some some critical questions in the technology that need to be addressed in order to be able to do this uh, economically um, mm -hmm. and in an environmentally responsible way at scale. Yeah, because I think the question is how much energy it's taking to produce a pound of that cell-based meat and how much, uh, well, how much better that is than what it currently costs to, to create a, you know, a regular pound of beef, right? Um, that's definitely one that's got to come along. But I, from what I understand, some of the stuff that I've read, that has decreased drastically, drastically in, yeah. in the last little while. And I mean, that's how, a, you know, an industry runs. And as you said, like when you're talking just three years in, when you consider what three years into cell phones or even three years into CDs was, you know, right. uh, you know, it's going to move quickly, but you know, to be this far in three years is very good, very good for mm -hmm. everything. So. Yeah, um, I think it has ex sort of exceeded all expectations, or at least certainly mine, <laughs> in the past three years. Um, so yeah, but there, but there's definitely a need for for continued and more research, um, which is one of the things that that GFI is really um, invested in helping to accelerate. Our SciTech team actually just um, announced the winners to our inaugural competitive grant program from the generosity of. Uh, to, to donors, we were able to um, sort of solicit uh, research proposals from all over the world for oh, wow. places in uh, plant-based and cell-based meat technology um, where there are still still um, big questions uh, and, and sort of uh, distribute uh, $3 million in scientific research funding to those scientists, which will um, go towards open access re research that is available, you know, sort of to the entire space. Because right now when you have 
when you have all these different companies doing this uh, R&D, what's, what's being discovered and the advances that are being made are, are protected by sort of their individual IP, yeah. which means that there is sort of um, an inherent repetition of a lot of the and, and, and more diverse creativity, certainly, yeah. um, but also re- repetitive effort in some places. So we're looking to minimize that. Yeah, because there's a, there's a capitalist requirement in there to, you know, somebody still wants to be first to the party, you know, and, uh, you know to make the cash. But you also want to make sure that it's being done right and, and, and collectively we, you know, the rising tide is raising all boats, as they might say. Precisely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. Well, thank you very much for your time, Eric. A couple more questions for you, just before we wrap this up. What's plant nasty? What's plant nasty? <laughs> <laughs> so that's my, um, that is my sort of team of plant-based runners and athletes. Uh, we are a Strava community of Strava's like social media for athletes. Okay. Um, so yeah, over a thousand strong on wow. Strava, and and I sort of found my way into the space and into thinking about the food system, because uh, I was because I was starting to eat sort of a whole food plant based diet, uh, and I discovered that there is a there's a rich community of fellow runners who also love eating plants. So that's what Plant Nasty is. We get together in Brooklyn and we we go for runs and then we hang out and uh, drink coffee and nice. eat plants. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so I usually do something to wrap up the podcast called, uh, read, watch, and listen. It's just asking you something that people should read, something they should watch and something they should listen to. So if I could, what do you think is something that everybody should read is, and it can literally be anything. It doesn't even have to be based on our topic. Uh, read, I would say diet for a small planet, um, which is the, Francis Moore the Pay book, okay. um, and watch. Um, I would say that everyone should put on their to watch list because it will be coming out. Um, is a documentary chronicling sort of the development of Memphis Meats and mm-hmm. this nascent industry um, that is uh, being produced um, by the documentary filmmaker. Oh, whose name is has just flown out of my head, but it'll come to me in thirty seconds. Um, mm, do you mind if I look that up? Yeah, really no quickly? Because I wanna, I wanna say it properly. Oh, of course. Okay. Um, it is called "Meet the Future" by Liz Marshall, and the trailer is available now, oh, so nice. you don't even have to wait to get a taste. I would say uh, that everyone should listen. Um, to Bruce Friedrich, uh, the executive director of GFI, um, his, his recent interview on the ritual podcast, um, I think does a really great job laying out GFI's theory of change and talking about our different, cool. our different areas of work. All right. And if anybody wanted to uh, get in contact with GFI or yourself, how would you like them to do so? Folks should uh, follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Um, and feel free to follow Plant Nasty on Twitter, <laughs> though my content's not as interesting as Good Food Institute's. Um, and I would say, uh, for sure, sign up for our newsletter, which goes out twice a month, um, mostly written by yours truly. Um, nice. And 
yeah, just check out what we're doing and, you know, hit the contact button on our website if you want to get in touch. Perfect. So that's my watch. <laughs> All right. Well, Mary, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. This has been great. I'm uh, always happy to chat.